man, it is, you know, just past August in Texas. It's so dry out there. I feel like maybe the time has finally come to get the car I built out of four other burnt-out rusty cars and and shave my head into a mohawk and just start randomly killing people for uh, water. Um, so is that why you're all silvery face today? Well, yeah. Because it kind of looks like you blew a cyborg or something. It may be that um, we... my drug dealer went to jail, and I needed to get a fix, and so all we had was silver spray paint. Oh, okay, yeah, the metallics really are the best. Yeah, definitely. Oh, so good. Uh, of course. But yeah, uh, I'm just thinking that maybe this is the end times. I don't know. Well, this uh, I do know that we are in the long, long ago. We are? <laughs> yeah, how, how would yeah, you know this, that? This is... Uh, uh, it's it's in my, uh, my Google calendar. Oh. Yeah. It seems contextually there would have to be a far, far from now, reporting back to make a statement like right, that. Right, yeah. No, that's 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 what it is. It's it's like next May. Oh. Yeah. That makes us long, long ago? Mm-hmm. Okay, so everything is... We, we'll look back at this time and laugh and go, ha, they didn't even have beer then. Yeah, exactly. Beer or laughter or children or kitties. Wait, we don't have any beer? No. Welcome to Digital Noise. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. And we got a bunch of titles for you this week. Uh, all sorts of craziness to go through. Lots of TV shows. Lots of uh, assorted madness. And First, maxness. Let, let me just uh, remind you guys that we are, of course, on the One of Us Network. We so appreciate you being a fan and listening to all our shows out there. One of the ways you can help us keep putting out all this great content is becoming a subscriber. That's right, we have four different tiers of subscriber level that comes with all sorts of bonus features for subscribers, added advantages, and more stuff on the way for that. So go up there, subscribe. You could be anything from a red shirt on Star Trek to a Jedi Knight on Star Wars and uh, reap the benefits and know that that money is going to help keep the lights on here. Uh, Also, you'll see on the page, there's a bunch of pictures of all the uh, movies and TV shows that we review, and time codes for if you want to just go specifically to that review and hear it, you can do that. If you click on those images, they'll take you to an Amazon.com page that we have an affiliate partnership with, and actually a a pretty financially healthy one for us. So anything that you really love, and you're like, you know what, I want to buy that, or even if you you can go on there and you know just go like you know I don't want to buy it I just I'll just rent it through Amazon Prime or whatever. Regardless, we get a kickback from all that stuff. That's right. And if you wanna you wanna order anything else from Amazon Prime, say like toenail clippers or, or just, Maserati, or just Amazon. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> it doesn't just, have to be Amazon Prime, but just say yes. You do that like as long as you start from one of our links. And continue on Amazon from there. Whatever you buy, we get that kickback from. So please do that. If you have any purchases at all coming up that you know you're going to buy on Amazon, please use our links. It makes a huge difference. Also, of course, Audible.com is our sponsor right now. If you go and click on the link on the page, it'll take you to Audible.com, where if you sign up and you get your first audiobook for free, we get a nice, healthy kickback from them as well. 
Uh, and there's so much great stuff on Audible dot com. Uh, one of the things I've been recommending lately is, of course, the uh, the book that was written by Carrie Elwes that is about his uh, his adventures on the uh, Princess Bride. The Princess Bride that apparently were just funny as hell. Uh, and then, of course, a recent recommended book that I really loved, Wool by Hugh Howey. You can uh, check that out on there. That's definitely one of those things you don't want to miss. There, uh, there's so much other great content on there. Go, please, check it out. Join up. Send us money. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, with that uh, being said, and uh, no more reason to waste any time, let's get right into the reviews. Beep, boop, boop, boop. And let's start off with, you know what, we'll just start off with TV this week. Okay, let's do it. I want to start off with one of the things that I think is, you know, maybe, it, it's not my pick, if it was a TV pick of the week and a movie pick of the week, this is definitely my TV pick of the week. Yeah. Which is Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. This is a seven-part TV miniseries uh, made on the BBC One uh, that came out just this past May and now is already available on Blu-ray and DVD based on Susanna Clark's novel of the same name. Man, I was so in love with this book when it came out. I would not stop telling people about it. I was like, I swear it's like if Charles Dickens had written the Harry Potter series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I definitely got a sense of that, but then, then it was... Uh... I don't know, funny and for adults. So I really, really, really dug this. I knew nothing about this going in. Well, the idea here is that this is the during the war in England with uh, with France and Napoleon, and things aren't going too well for the English. And there's a whole group of uh, like self-proclaimed magicians who are not magicians and laugh at the idea that anyone would actually do real magic. It's just not very gentle. Well, I did love that. I, I loved the the line of. Astronomers do not create stars. <laughs> magicians do not make magic. Uh, but then they discover there is actually a real magician, played by Mr. Norrell, played by Ed, the great Eddie Marsan, who has been hiding out, you know, in a huge fucking place, awesome place that he lives in with his manservant, uh, who's like, yeah, I can do magic, what of it? Yeah. And basically just shows these these guys challenge him, and he just blows them away. He's like, yeah, what do you have to say now? And they're like, he's like, now, like, the deal is, if I can do magic, you guys promise to quit calling yourself magicians. <laughs> and of course, well, there you go. Uh, and so he sort of puts himself in a position where he's like, okay, now that I'm out there, I want to do something with this, and what I want to do is help, you know, England in, in this war. Uh, and he starts d- trying to do so, albeit... Uh, Perhaps overcautiously. <laughs> uh, well, you, you got to ease into it with magics. But then, of course, there's this crazy hobo guy wandering around who keeps talking about the return of the Raven King, who apparently is the the last great magician in England from I think it was like 300 years ago or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. They said, uh, and his prediction that there would be a time when magic would return to England in the form of two magicians and a tragic, like series of events that would befall them. Second magician in question uh, making his appearance shortly afterwards is a more of a lovable type of guy yeah. named Jonathan Strange, played by Bertie Carvel, who is just, he's kind of a rich guy who's like, embraces life, but has no direction. No, and it doesn't help that his dad is a bag of dicks. Yeah, he totally is a huge <laughs> bag of dicks. He's, he's pretty much Ebenezer Scrooge, his dad. Uh, and he uh, Strange wants to marry 
uh, this woman he's been in love with for a very, very long time. And she's like, look, find a direction in your life and I will marry you. And as it turns out, that direction, which he just kind of stumbles across, is that he is a prodigy magician. Like, unlike Norell, who has, like, all the magic books in the world and just does research and research and research... Uh, Jonathan Strange can just kind of figure shit out and make yeah. up new spells. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like, well, I didn't know I couldn't do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, was I not supposed to be able to do that? And the two of them end up both working for the Crown with a sort of, like, uneasy friendship slash alliance that's broken when Strange is of the opinion that there's no reason we shouldn't be embracing the old magic. Mm-hmm. You know, with dealing with the fairy folk and uh, the way of the Raven King. And Narelle's like, that's a terrible fucking idea. <laughs> Although we know already from having watched earlier in here, Narelle's made a deal himself with a, a fairy to uh, to sort of prove himself to the kingdom initially by bringing a man's uh, fiancé back to life. And uh, that deal, as most deals with fairies, starts to turn around oh, yeah, rather yeah. quickly. So he's kind of protecting himself. And this series goes on with like a series of like really amazingly cool events. I mean, you haven't, you didn't get all the way through it mm-hmm. yet, but there's stuff like, especially when Jonathan Strange is like, "Oh, you want some stuff to uh, to help us against Napoleon? I'll show you some shit." <laughs> and starts doing some pretty impressive magic. Does, does he bring the Sphinx to life and then it bats at Napoleon? No, that, no, no, we never actually see Napoleon. But, oh. Yeah, sorry, but uh, it's this is a really well told, well acted story. That just if the only thing bad that I can really think to say about it is that when it's over, you're like, "What? That's it? No, I want more. Where's the next book?" Yeah, rarely would I genuinely describe something as delightful, and this thing is delightful. Yeah, yeah, it's really a charming uh, and really easy to get into. Oh, yeah. story, and I think like the book kind of puts some people off because its style is written in a very Dickensian sort of tone, and sometimes goes off into very like maybe over examines the specifics of some things in a way that really is is not necessary. I mean, it's a huge book. Watching this, they really make it easy for you to jump right into it. The first episode is, is a little dry, but not terribly so. No, not so bad. Yeah, uh, the, but the second episode is like, bang, here we go. Uh, and I, I gotta tell you, I think you guys are gonna really want to seek this one out. It is just incredible amounts of fun. Uh, such good, good stuff. Uh, next up is The Secret Life of Marilyn Monroe, another miniseries. Uh, and God help me, it's a miniseries on the Lifetime Network that's not bad. It's not bad, but it's definitely one of, uh, why? Why? Like, Marilyn Monroe's been done to death. True. Uh, but, but conversely, yeah, it's not horrible. Quite literally. <laughs> was done to death. Hey, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was it was either the CIA or the mafia or, or <laughs> don't ju- even go there. Don't even go there. You with your moon landing denial. <laughs> uh, Kelly Garner plays Marilyn Monroe, and honestly, I think she is ends up being the big selling point for this. Mm-hmm. She is charming and sexy, and like you started, you know, the show has her being interviewed very late in her life, like when she was... I, I can't remember how old she was when she died. Like 30... I don't remember. 39 or something like Ugh, that? old. Oh. <laughs> uh, Hollywood ancient. She's basically just gotten a new therapist who's a younger guy, and she's talking to him, and she's obviously very kind of drugged out, and she's relating her life as he's asking her questions, trying to get sort of like a feeling for 
what the deal is, why she got rid of, rid of her last therapist. So it flashes back to her, of course, as a young Norma Jean and her problems with how uh, sh- she was basically abandoned by her mother because her mother was fucking crazy. Super nuts. Uh, and left her in the care of her mother's uh, uh, best friend, Grace McKee, played by Emily Watson. And as it goes along, as they get a little bit older, which doesn't take long, this old, slightly older version of her mother is played by Susan Sarandon, who is really, like, full-blown, like, hearing voices all the time. Yeah, she's cuckoo kachoo. Yeah. <laughs> and Marilyn Monroe trying as hard as she can to make peace with her mother and the crazy religious phases that she goes through. And with... What she wants, which is ultimately, she just wants to be loved. Like, she's not even interested in the money. Like, she yeah. says as much. She's like, I just want to be famous. I want people to love me. Because she wasn't didn't get any love when she was younger, you know. Uh, and clearly had no father figure because, damn. <laughs> all she yeah. dated were dudes a lot older than her who fathered her. Uh, notably, Jeffrey Dean Morgan as Joe DiMaggio, who had a very tempestuous relationship with her in real life. <laughs> to uh, say the least. Uh, but in by the end, he was was kind of the guy who was there for her. Yeah. You know, post their marriage, he came back around and they kind of were dating again and was like, clearly the guy who was like, yeah, I know I fucked up, but she was the woman I loved the most for in my in my life. I don't think he ever even remarried after that. No. Uh, I, I do have a, a story. Uh, what, one of my, my dad's army buddies uh, lives in New York and in the early 80s, he was at a bar and, and uh, Joe DiMaggio sat next to him. And so they got to chatting and then he said, hey Joe, come on. How about an autograph? And, and DiMaggio just had a sullen look on his face. He's like, yeah, sure. So my dad's friend just wrote, wrote to Joe, love Jerry, and just hands him the note. <laughs> 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 apparently, DiMaggio just got pissed. Seriously? Yeah. That's hysterical. I, I thought laugh. so, too. I think after being asked for autographs so many times, he would have thought that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I liked... Uh, uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan a lot in this. I think Susan Sarandon really knocks out of the park as well, but this would not have worked as well as it did without Kelly Garner, who I thought really is great in that role. Well, she did it really right, because she wasn't trying to sell sappy. No, not at all. No, and she makes her into a complicated woman. Mm-hmm. Which she was, you know. She was. She desperately wanted to be smarter than she ever had the opportunity with, with her educational, uh, the way she was brought up. Uh, you know, she would, like, was begging people smarter than her to help her to along her way well right yeah and like she even talks about how when she got turned down for that first job how you know she just stayed on set learning as much as she could so it it is a woman who was robbed by by circumstance of of having a more stable life very true uh now on the downside this still has that problem with a lot of lifetime biopics does where the editing is just all over the place it just yeah. takes these yeah, huge does. jumps where you're like all of a sudden she's like divorced from someone or, or you know like you're <laughs> like wait what happened what just happened that seems like that would have been an interesting part of the story to cover it it's it has a very amateurish filming style that's really elevated by a not bad script and really good performances. And when yes. you're talking about only two a, a two episode miniseries, so it's like four hours total. Yeah, you're not you know. you're not going to have to schlock through a bunch of filler. Yeah, it's not that bad if you are interested in who Marilyn Monroe really was. And certainly, there's a lot of sources to do so. Uh, 
you the the podcast uh, you must remember this, which is a great podcast which tells sort of true true Hollywood stories. Mm-hmm. Did like a, a multi part series on Marilyn Monroe that's oh, really interesting. Nice. Uh, right now they're doing one on the Manson family. It's like a seven part series <laughs> on the you know how how what was the environment that spawned the Manson family? What happened with them in the whole run? And yeah, like, why yeah. was she named Squiggy? That was so weird. <laughs> Uh, anyway, Secret Life Marilyn Monroe, believe it or not, a Lifetime uh, television series that is actually worth checking out. Uh, next up, one you did not get to see, but I did, The Walking Dead Season 5. Uh, now, The Walking Dead Season f- season 5 is kind of an odd mix to me, in which I think the second half of this is as good as the show has ever gotten. And the first half is kind of feeling its way around with, what do we want to do next? So it's it's kind of like Season 2. <laughs> Yeah, well, no, because season two was a lot of, like, was just all in one place, and it was very, like... Well, I, I, but, I mean, like, I felt season two was just like, uh, where are we going with well, this? Well, so a lot of, like, like, okay, so we need to spend some time to get to know these characters, but they spent too much time just doing that, not enough time exploring the outside world. Although, season two and what they l- learned in there is incredibly vital and the whole context of the show of what happens in the second half of season five, uh, at least in terms of, of theme. Uh, and one of the things is the first half of the season is really like Rick and the boys and girls and Coral uh, <laughs> are like uh, escape from the cannibals. And we bring back one of the beloved characters from previous, from the previous season who was exiled Carol back into the fold in a very awesome way. Uh, they introduce a bunch of new characters, including some I was not really crazy about. There's a Seth Gilliam joins the series as Father Gabriel Stokes, and he is so irritating. I just want to smack the hell out of him. He's <laughs> like, you know, this guy. You right from the bat, you're like, why is he so crazy? You're like, oh yeah, he locked himself in his church and didn't let his parishioners in because he was having a breakdown, and so they all died. You're like, okay, they don't have to tell you that happened for you to figure out that that happened. <laughs> and then, you know, you think once that's out in the air, okay, well, that's fine. He'll get better. But no, he just continues to be irritating and make terrible decisions. Oh, excellent. After that. Uh, uh, but some of the other characters who were brought in are fun, especially in the in the second half, uh, which I don't want to say too much about. But um, I, was, I, I will say they lost a lot of characters this season that were great, great characters on the show that I know really drove some people crazy that they're not on the show anymore. Um, one of the funnier things is, all right, well, so I'll say the second half of this ends up with them basically encountering people that are like how they were thinking about the world in season two. Okay. Like, well, this isn't going to last forever. Somebody's going to figure this out. We can't let go of our humanity. We still got to act civilized. Right. Whereas now they're not civilized at all. They're <laughs> a team of like badasses who like kill anything that gets in their path. You know, yeah, they got all survival and, you know, them meeting, these people who are like we we actually need you, you know, we know that we need people like you uh, <laughs> they're just not ready ready to trust at all and one funny bit is Norman Reedus who's always everybody's favorite character is Daryl Dixon there's long been a sort of like a uh, uh, What's the word? It's not even shipper because there's no other character to ship him with. But that people saying, "Oh no, it's going to turn out he's gay." Oh, they're going to say he's gay because he's never had a sort of 
romance with anybody. Like, oh, he's going to turn out he's gay, which is the weirdest kever- character ever to assume that would they would be yeah. gay. But, uh, you know, his brother was a Nazi, <laughs> and he's this redneck. But they, I think in a direct sort of like tongue-in-cheek response to this, they get him in a, a, a strong friendship with a gay guy who's also kind of a badass zombie hunter uh, who helps clear out, who goes hunting, you know, for supplies and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you're like, they have a real bonding thing. And you're like, okay, they're never going to make those two hook up, but it's pretty funny that, that that's the relationship they chose to go with there. Well, I always thought that he and, uh, what's his, what's her face, uh, gray-haired lady, we're gonna, we're gonna hook up. Yeah, I think that's really more of a maternal thing. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, they, they played around for a while, but, uh, I, I thought at the beginning, I was like, oh, okay, then they're gonna have, like, a May-December romance. Or, and then- or for a little while, it looked like maybe they were gonna hook him up with Beth, mm-hmm. you know, who comes later, uh, and that's not gonna happen. So, uh, yeah, I, I think the main thing that people, a lot of people dropped out of the show early on, like around season two, because or or halfway through season three, because they're like, there's just not enough going on. I didn't have that problem, because I watch shows a lot that are not action shows as well. <laughs> I can watch shows with drama and, and character development, but don't require lots of killing zombies. I'm fine that the book went on for a long time with stuff like that, and you'd be like, okay, this is interesting because these characters have interesting, like, arcs between them that don't involve, you know, monsters. <laughs> Involves them not becoming monsters. And, you know, I think ultimately the theme of the show is, like, how does one keep oneself from becoming a monster in a place in a place where civilization just doesn't exist anymore? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, that's definitely the tone of the show overall. Uh a lot of people dropped out because it just wasn't what they were thinking it was going to be, I guess. You know? Uh, um, and obviously, there's so much great television out there. If something doesn't make the cut, if you're not enjoying it anymore... <laughs> yeah, you got options then, now. Yeah, there's plenty of other options, so no harm, no foul. But I do feel like, especially since season three, this thing has done nothing but go uphill. Okay. And the other thing that really irritates people was that they fall in love with characters... And then they get really mad when they get killed off. And I'm always like, it's that's, a zombie that's, yeah, that's show. That's the premise of the show. <laughs> it's like, watch some zombie movies where every character dies. <laughs> like, in almost all of them. <laughs> that's kind of how that works. And I know there's the thing about the, oh, but they kill off the black characters only to replace them with other black characters. Like, as if it's the token situation. And I think part of the problem is, is like, they have a key group of original people that they really don't want to kill. That are like, okay, they're going to be there for the long run, most likely. And then you have only so many other supporting characters that that you can have, you know, that are coming in and regularly there and part of it, uh, you know, of the, the plots that are going on. And you want to keep bringing in new characters, too, because obviously they meet people along the way. Otherwise, the show is going to get really dull if they never meet anyone else. Right. No other arcs in there. But somebody's got to die along right. the other, line. Other, otherwise, what what kind of gravity is it going to have? What real danger are they going to have? And the problem is a lot of those, they, and they've tried to bring in a lot of new black characters. And the problem is those are all people who came in in the later part. And so, so it's like, gotta go. I'm sorry. We, like, we Michonne is a black woman who's not going anywhere, I promise you. So she is bad ass. She is really badass. Anyway, I'm still really enjoying the show. Like I said, I thought the first half of this, it's it's not perfect. It's not it's not great, but it's pretty damn good still. The second half of this really knocks it out of the park. It's really exciting. By the end, I was like, God damn it, I want to see the next episode <laughs> right fucking now. Uh, so, you know what? Maybe it's time to, to go back and like give Walking Dead another chance, because I really do think it's worth your time. Uh, 
another one that I got to see you didn't get to see was Scorpion, and glad <laughs> I did not no, ask no, you to see this. No, no, I, 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 it looked so shitty when it came on the air that I had to watch the first episode. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah. Oh my. Okay, so this is uh, the Big Bang Theory version of Mr. Robot. Oh yeah, yeah, because because <laughs> they're gonna hack towards the internet by uh, building a GUI interface that's going to circumvent the firewalls. Dude, it's it's insane. This is like 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 a, a, a hacker TV show in the era that the movie Hackers came out. Yeah. Like, level of ridiculousness. But, but no Angelina Jolie in a white bodysuit. So. And the sheer ego involved in this Oh, thing, yeah. That it's based on a real-life guy, Walter O'Brien, a self-proclaimed genius and computer expert who all of his claims to genius, most of which cannot actually be verified, yeah. whether or not they're true. Oh, yeah. Like, having broken into, like, his big claim, like, oh, when he was nine or something, he broke into NASA, uh, you know, hacked into NASA. And apparently even that can't be proved that that actually happened. Well, I'm a self-proclaimed genius, yet but, I still play with my feces. But he's like the exe- <laughs> right. He's the executive producer of this show, and the main character is based on him a much better looking, of course, and probably better, better to more uh, pleasant person. Even though they keep saying, oh no, he's bad socially, he's bad socially. You're like, really? Because I don't see it. No, no, he's he's like, fine. Every time they try and make him be a little asperger's it's really like... Yeah, I'm not really. That's not really selling. That's not, I don't believe that because all the rest of the time he's like a very generic character on any given '90s ensemble CSI type show, <laughs> and that's what this is. It's a CSI type show. It is. Uh, it's got Catherine McPhee in it, and this Who is, is probably the best person on it. Yeah. Well, uh, this this isn't critical in any way. This is just like I've met her a few times, mm-hmm. um, and she's so nice. She doesn't deserve this show. Yeah, honestly, her last show, Smash, was really fucking good. Yeah, and I was one of those shows like, wow, it's a, I can't believe I'm enjoying this much a show about putting on Broadway productions. But mm-hmm. it was good, and she was great in it. Like every yeah. time she sang, you were like, God damn, girl, you got a voice on you. She got a gap in her. I'm tooth. like, I can't. You know, this just feels like a major step down from what she was doing. Yes. There. Very much like so. Like I said, this is like, it's a Big Bang Theory in geeks, for one thing. You know, it's just <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. No, it's, idea, it's for you because we said it's for you. The idea is Walter O'Brien uh, and his group of genius outcasts was like, we've got the Asian girl. We've got the fat guy. We've got the smart talk, the, the smart ass gambler can't control his habits guy. Uh, played by, by the way, uh, the dude who played, what was his name? Was it uh, on American Pie? I Felch or something like that? Hmm. Do you remember? I don't. Uh, uh, God damn it. What was the name of his character on there? Oh, Finch. Finch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, On there. Probably the the most actual likable person in the American Pie movies. But, uh, like, he's a a behavioral psychiatrist. Okay. uh, uh, Walter O'Brien has got supposedly the highest IQ ever recorded, 197. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Who's the leader of it, and he's kind of like... They never really say, what is your speciality? I don't know, whatever the show calls I'm for. I'm smart. I'm smarty guy. Uh, uh, Happy Quinn, the, the the Asian woman, is a genius mechanical engineer who's given almost nothing to do. She's just like pops up with comments here and there that are helpful, and you're like, really? None of these episodes seem to be involving heavily the need for a, me- a mechanic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she never <laughs> makes like a jetpack or anything. And then uh, the fat guy, Sylvester, who is a... Uh, who's the guy with severe Asperger's? Who's got? Who's a mathematician and uh, stati- uh, statistics expert? Who like at one point they're like, uh, you know how normal people can like 
look at one particular situation and, and gauge what are the odds for something to happen. Well, what Sylvester does is he gauges the odds of anything that could happen. <laughs> You're like, oh, what? shut the fuck up. I'm a, I'm a, he's a quantum thinker. Uh, Robert Patrick, who is always a sign of quality, he said sarcastically <laughs> at this point, plays Agent Cape Gallo, a special agent with the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, who is working with all of them because he used to work with uh, Walter a long time ago, and they were like, oh, but they had a falling out over something hard. He was probably like, that Walter's too smart for me, man. <laughs> but now he's gathered them together as his new team that he's trying to prove to to uh, the U.S. government is, is a, a workable thing. And they bring in, you know, in the most, right off the bat, like, what? They bring in Catherine McPhee, who's just a waitress who works at a place that they happen to be at. Because they're like, oh, you're good with people. And they're not. So she's the mommy. So she's the mom. <laughs> and obviously, eventually, the love interest for Walter you know, like, come on, roll hey, your eyes. Hey, a protagonist has to have something to stick but, his dick in. Because she's got a young son who's genius level, and she doesn't know how to talk to him, and Walter can talk to the son, and it's like, oh, for fuck's sakes. <laughs> this is such nonsense. It, it really is. <laughs> it really is. And it's, it's uh, God, who is it that's writing this? It's the guys who wrote the Transformer movies, like Roberto Orsi and Oh, okay, Ian so it is, it, it is smart writing smart. Gotcha. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. It's that kind of dumb. <laughs> but somehow it got renewed for a second season. So there you go. All I can say is definitely skip that if you can. Uh, now, one thing I think really got an unfair shake was Gotham. Uh, yeah. I've actually really ended up enjoying it, and I think it's one of those shows it takes... Until about halfway through the first season before it really starts finding running under its own steam. What I love is that it can be really good and really bad in the same episode. It can. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's definitely finding its footing, but it reminds me of a lot of other shows that are really good now that seem to fall under the same type of foibles early on, but have just as many strengths early mm-hmm. on. Like, I mean, this is no uh, better or worse than the first season of Supernatural, where you're like, oh, there's some good stuff in here, but there's a lot of awkwardness as uh, they're trying to find what their strengths are. You just know? to piss off Sarah, I'm going to say it's better than Supernatural. Uh, yeah, it's probably is better than the first season of Supernatural. <laughs> Not by a sizable margin. Uh and I, I, you know, this show, which of course focuses on the it not connected with any of the other DC universe stuff, this stands yeah. alone, so it's not connected with Arrow and the Flash or any of that stuff. Uh, it's a reboot of Batman, where even though it's modern day, it's Bruce Wayne's parents were just killed relatively recently. He's a young boy. He lives with Alfred the Butler, uh, which is actually one of my favorite characters on there. <laughs> oh, yeah. is <laughs> Alfred, who's, who's like, they're uh, played by Sean Pertwee, the Doctor Who's son, John Pertwee's son, who is, like, they're playing him in the, from the version of the comics where he was an ex-military guy who's really kind of a badass. But he's not going out seeking to be a badass, but sometimes his past comes back to haunt. Yeah, some, yeah sometimes he's just got to. Uh, but this show is actually re- really about James Gordon, a younger James Gordon, having just joined the Gotham Force, uh, played by Ben McKenzie, who maybe... Like, OC! Uh, maybe really kind of... Early on in this, I feel like he was trying a little too hard. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, he he's just like... He's so 
God damn it! <laughs> yeah, he, I, I think he, he finally eased into it. Yeah, uh, and it helped a lot getting to like him that his he's accompanied by Donald Logue playing a young Harvey Bullock, who is sort of like the whole, do we have to do things the right way? Gotham's corrupt. It's always the way it's been. But <laughs> if you say so, Jimmy. Now, I, what I would say that like the, the biggest uh, star of this is definitely Robin Lord Taylor. Oh, yeah. He's came out of, fantastic. Who came out of nowhere <laughs> to play the Penguin, or now just Oswald Cobblepot, who's a young man just kind of getting into the mob, uh, who kind of sets himself up regularly being both the the a, a assistant for a, like a thug for, and then eventually an enemy of pretty much every major gangster in the city. Hey, he takes enemies <laughs> to get places. And watching his arc and the way he chooses to play this character, which is definitely a un- very unique take on it, is pretty fascinating. Well, yeah, because he goes from sniveling uh, to conniving. To to just straight up owning. What's the thing? Is like like he's even got like this weird sort of arrangement with James Gordon, where they're like, well, he's a thug, but he's ha- ultimately kind of harmless. Not realizing the part of him we see, which is this guy's a fucking psychopathic serial killer. Yeah, he oh. just hasn't come into his own yet. But like like I think the the penguin stuff is so good. Like well, uh, when when uh, they bring his mom into the mix, like yeah. it's, it's just like uh, God, I'm yeah, blanking Carol on her Kane. name. Carol Kane, yeah, who's the and perfect she does choice? Fantastically, it's just. All around, that part is is, is aces. Uh, now, the stuff that I didn't like as much here, uh, Barbara Keene, who plays uh, James Gordon's fiance, and as we know, in the comic book, eventually uh, uh, his wife, it is some pretty awkward stuff with here. Um, for like, They pretty much split them up early on, even though they're engaged, and she goes off to have an affair with Renee Montoya, which is like, wait, what? what? And it kind of <laughs> ends with her sort of like, yeah, there's no chance she and James Gordon would ever get back. Why would they ever get back together? Well, the, the, yeah, they super fucked up. <laughs> yeah, and, and well, the big thing they fucked up is that they introduced a much better love interest. Yeah, well, because, I mean... Uh, Marino- Monica Baccarin as, as a... Uh, like uh, for what is she like a forensic scientist there who's like everyone's like yeah no that's the one <laughs> she's, ho- she's hotter she's smarter she's got a better personality yeah exactly uh, I do think as well Jada Pinkett Smith she uh, playing one of the main gangsters here Fish Mooney she has her moments uh, I, I liked an arc where she was kind of captured by this this slavery ring. Type the, oh thing yeah, the, the, the harvesters. The way she forced herself to be the boss there it was like okay that was indeed a little bit cool but. For the most part, she's unnecessary. I think yeah, she was, she's unnecessary. She was brought in for for name name cachet, yeah. Uh, but the the cheese finally ended up standing on its own. Yeah, so. yeah. It was just a little too much, and I know that she was a character who was never intended to be in there for the long run. I mean, I doubt we're going to see much more of her. I mean, she'll mm. be in season two, but I doubt she'll be in it for long. I think she'll be one of those characters they're not going to kill, but they'll find some way to get her off the scene, put her in jail or something, until they decide to a couple seasons later bring her back for an arc or something. Yeah, or maybe she'll go to Metropolis. Uh, as well, like, the over-reliance on Catgirl, you know, Catwoman, yeah. who's just a little girl, and they're trying to have this sort of, like, meet-cute between her and Bruce Wayne, because uh, they're about the same age. She is really annoying. <laughs> well, so, I yeah, I think they, they were really aiming for, oh, here's this pretty little girl that's gonna, like, form a, a you know, a deep relationship with Bruce that's gonna be exploited later. Uh, and they were hoping that that was going to be something they could sell, and then they realized, no, there's 
way better stuff that you can actually talk about in Gotham than than, than that. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, and they certainly like as it went along. I think they found some of that stuff. Um, like the guy, and I'm forgetting his name right now, but the, the guy they brought in who is going to become the Joker, who has oh, a yeah. single appearance in here, but apparently comes out is in a big way involved in the next season. He's good. Oh yeah. I was like, ooh, that guy's fucking creepy. <laughs> I want to see what they're going to do with him. Uh, and I, I actually liked the arc of uh, Edward Nigma, who originally works for the police as sort of like a, a scientist guy, and by the end of the season has lost it, has just gone full, has gone like, okay, now he's going to become the Riddler. Uh, I actually like that, and I look forward to seeing him starting to become full on the Riddler. Yeah. Um, Frank Gorshin. And some of the characters, that, the other characters that are coming up sound actually pretty cool. Uh, uh, Lucius Fox is going to be appearing in here soon. Uh, we're going to have uh, Michael Chiklis is appear- appearing as the new the captain. Commish. Yeah, basically the commish of the department, which I'm like, anything <laughs> with Michael Chiklis, I'm I'm happy. That's that's good. Uh, and, and you'll see bits and pieces of other Batman characters like Victor Zaz is a, is a, you know, like the how he got started type of well, thing. Yeah, it was, it was weird when Zaz showed up and he had the Dominatrix squad. Yeah, right? <laughs> Uh, I think overall, this is a good show. It's just going through some growing pains, and some of them are really embarrassing. Like, when they happen, you're like, oh, God, what are you doing? (laughs) But from everything I'm reading, it seems like they're paying a lot of attention to what people are saying and trying to, like, smooth it out. Mm -hmm. I I don't think this is a bad show. Uh, It's just not really that good yet. Right. Uh, But I think it's worth paying attention to. I mean, I think it's a Batman fan, as long as you're not a canon queen, because, come on, there's 8 billion Batman universe and multiverses out there. How yeah. can you re- I mean, if you're not mad at the Dark Knight movie for not being anything like what happened in the actual Batman lore, then you really shouldn't be mad at this for the same reason. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, when Batman gets to actually be Batman, all the classic Batman villains will be in their 60s. But right. that's okay. Well, and <laughs> I just I just don't want them to do, like, uh, Batman High or something like that. Right, right. And they have said, of course, which I think is a, you know... After Smallville, and I thought it was stupid, they're like, oh, we'll never see him actually become Batman until the last episode. And I'm like, the one that, thing that that doesn't bother me as much is just that Bruce Wayne is far from the main character of this. He's yes. a minor mm-hmm. character. You know, we see bits and pieces of him here and there, but in small, he gets little silly side arcs, but it's it's really about James Gordon. Right. Well, I mean, because for him to become Batman, that's going to be like five years and then a bunch of uh, training with Ra's al Ghul. And yeah. Then, so. I think there's a point that they'll just write him out of the show for like They should, yeah. Years, just, which is just what they should do. Gracefully bow out. Yeah, just say, okay, let's give this kid a chance to go through puberty for three or four years <laughs> <laughs> and like get him gone. And then he'll come back and he'll look like a proper adult to some degree. And then uh, he'll talk like Christian and, Bale, and Batman. We'll, and the whole time we'll be paying him just to fucking train like crazy and become big. <laughs> <laughs> so he'll come back looking like, whoa! Oh, what happened to that kid? Six four in, in like a brick shit house. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's not bad. I don't think it's the best of the DC shows by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't think it's time to give up on it quite yet. I can't say the same thing for the History Channel's 10-hour television miniseries, Texas Rising. Or as I like to call it, Marf. Oh, my God. I lasted two episodes before I gave up on this shit. So, I was like, is this going to get any better? And looked online, and all the reviews were like, oh, my oh, God. This it was is so the worst. Terrible. Now, apparently, the one before this they put out called The Hatfields and McCoys is supposed to be actually pretty damn good. I was interested in, uh, I'd like to see the, the World Wars, where it follows... Um, 
uh, leaders of, of the Second World War as they were in the First World War. Right. That seemed interesting. This, maybe it's because I'm a native Texan, yeah. and I had to take Texas history, so I already know about Texas, but this was just so romanticized, and, you know, white people haven't been given enough credit. <laughs> like, that's, well, that's basically the point of this. It is, and it's like, like, I mean, one of the first things people said is like, I can't believe this is like a channel that has history in the mm-hmm. name and the balls to put this out, because... The amount of like wrong? just wildly wrong information that's given here. I mean, I get taking some dramatic license, but this goes oh, but way like the slavery thing that. that was that was a big like oh it's, that's not how Texas. it happens. We don't we don't we don't have slaves here, and there was a period of time where Texas was slave free, but I don't think it was this period. Well, not only that, but Mexico abolished slavery long before we did. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. Well, that was part of the problems that was going on inherent there was that they yeah. And what's what's okay? So what's and the slaves were often fighting with the Mexicans during the Mexican uh, right. like American War because they were like we like that free thing yeah so um, this has like Texas history I have a lot of personal family ties with it like mm. one of my ancestors was one of the few Mexicans who died defending the Alamo mm. um, and like the Comanches like my great grandmother was full blood and you know like so all that stuff and it's like oh well let's see how they they treat all this and and the answer is like garbage. <laughs> they they yeah. just treat everything horribly. And it's a shame because there's so many good actors in this thing. There really are. I mean, you've got Bill Paxton as General Sam Houston, who admittedly looks a little bored doing this. But, <laughs> oh, especially when he, when he does a, a big speech. Oh, yeah. And they give him big speeches all the time. Like, any opportunity, he's like, look, it's time for me to uh, go on and monopolize this situation and tell everybody else what an idiot they are. Uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan is playing Def Smith. Uh, that character I didn't know about, but a famous, apparently, historical character. and uh, I'd never heard of him, but I was looking him up. Crispin Glover is Mosley Baker in here. Rob Morrow is James uh, Colonel James Fannin. Uh, Chris Christopherson is President Andrew Jackson. Christopher McDonald, who we never see enough of. I yeah, I, I, I was happy when I saw shoot He's the shit for breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he plays Henry Kames. Chad Michael Murray, who I haven't seen forever, is Mirabeau Lamar. Jeff Fahey, who I think is one of the most underrated character actors working today mm-hmm. is Thomas Rusk uh, and various and sundry other people Max Brendan Fraser Brendan Fraser who's like is he supposed to be like half Indian that's what I thought I was like well, he like has the braids but they're not trying to make him like flat like they've not like like giving him red face or anything no he's but just he has that tan. sort of mm, speaking style yeah, me, so uh, stick him how <laughs> Uh, Ray Liotta is in this. Jake Busey, Thomas Jane. I mean, they paid a lot of people to come in and be in this fucking thing. Yep. Uh, and it's embarrassing. Like, I get that there was a lot of racism at the time, of course, but you don't need to constantly remind us. Well, and Santa Ana, like, he might as well just be fucking eating babies on screen. Like- oh, oh my God, he is totally. Wi- uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, Snidely Whiplash. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my God, they he might as well. Twirl the mustache. Like, he is the most exaggerated, like, bizarrely exaggerated villain. Yeah, like, was, I'm pretty sure that was probably not what that guy was like. I think what would have been more interesting would have been uh, Pancho Villa versus General Pershing. Yeah, probably. Like, that would have been like a ooh. Well, the problem ultimately with this is the writing. The writing mm-hmm. is just bad. It's awful. Uh, now, I will so hand it to bad. the production crew. There's never a moment looking at this that it doesn't look 
realistic as hell. Oh, it, like, it looks beautiful. Yeah, they nailed the whole look and feel of it and everything. No question. It's just the script, the dialogue is just terrible. And it's a shame, like, Roland Joffe, they got, they, they pulled out to, uh, to direct this thing, who uh, is... Yeah, really well-known director who made The Killing Fields and The Mission. So he's done stuff. He's done real stuff that's really worth paying attention to. And this is, wow. I guess he's been a while since he had a hit. Uh, so, yeah, he was uncredited on Super Mario Brothers. So what? Yeah, Texas Rising is, if you like the Hatfields and McCoys, which, once again, I heard was indeed really worth watching and quite good, and it got great reviews, Texas Rising seems to be across the board, and certainly my feeling about it as well. This is just garbage. Yeah, yeah no, complete track. <laughs> yeah, you can absolutely skip this one. Uh, in terms of something else that you might want to skip is The Babysitter. Yeah, it's, it's super awful, and it wasn't even that kind of, I can revel in this awful. Look, the way the trailers sell this thing is, Alicia Silver. Silverstone is a young babysitter. All the men want her, but then she gets revenge. Except, you know, it looks like a crazy babysitter starts killing all the men who like her movie. And I'm like, okay, that's going to be bad, but it might be fun. Yeah, it could be. She's a good fun. That's not what this movie is, Mm -hmm. even the slightest bit. And maybe, and the content, the the idea of what this is sounds like, like, oh, this is a a film about, it's about gender studies and it's actually trying to be very highfalutin and intelligent and what have you. Nope. And, uh, oh, it's trying. (laughs) I I won't say it's not trying. It's just doing it so badly. Um, this is actually based apparently on a short story by Robert Coover that was well thought of. Uh, but uh, Alicia Sil- uh, Silverstone, the young, still just just cute as a button. Alicia Silverstone. Yeah, she was crying. Is a, a teenager. She's hired to ba- babysit the kids of J.T. Walsh and his wife uh, Lee Gar- Gar- uh, Garlington while they go to a party that's hosted by George Segal and his wife uh, Lois Chiles. And uh, the whole thing is like. Meanwhile, there's like these. Kids, uh, Jeremy London, who is not Jason London, no. he's his twin brother. Jason London from Dazed and Confused. I was like, hey, that's the guy from Dazed and Confused. No, no but, but, but his, he was the one in uh, Mallrats, right? Jeremy London had a bigger career, but most of the stuff he was in I didn't care for. Jason London had a smaller career, but was better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, th- you know, there's two guys that are trying to, like, who both want to hook up with her who are friends, but they're like, Neither one of them wants to admit the other one does, and they're kind of stalking her. In oh, not, not even in not, of. A, not a horror movie sort of way, just a dumb, dumb fucking teenager. drunk teenager yeah. way. Uh, JT Walsh is getting drunk as shit at this party and fast and 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 fantasizing about coming home and fucking the babysitter. Um, uh, and then there's a whole another story that seems like has no place here, where his wife is fantasizing about fucking George Seagal. Where you're like. Well, that doesn't really thematically fit in with everything else that's no. going on here. No, basically, it's a series of rape fantasies. Yeah, from from ages eight to eighty. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, and the little kid even the little kid yeah, that that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and it's like basically this is a movie where Alicia Silverstone fucks everybody, but only in their dreams. Right, <laughs> and the you know the boy's like, hey, all dudes are bad, but they're even worse bad when they're drunk. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> and, and maybe that sounds appealing to you, except I promise you this is, is not. boring, boring no. shit. So bad. Not even mildly the thriller. I can't believe even Wikipedia describes it as a thriller. This is not a thriller. It's bad. This is like so high up on the end of, oh, please skip this. Yeah, yeah, just stay away. Just um, stay away. <laughs> a little more 
I don't know what to do with this is mm-hmm. The Singing Detective. Mm-hmm. This came out in 2003, now available on Blu-ray. It is a musical crime comedy film. Comedy, I would put in quotation marks. Very much so. Uh, that is based on the BBC television series of the same name. This film, American film that was made, puts Robert Downey Jr. in the role of the lead character, who is a hack mystery writer uh, named Dan Dark, uh, played a younger version of him at points by David Dorfman, who would go on to being uh, uh, in the six. Is it the six? No, what was it? Uh, he was in. God damn it! What is the? Oh, the Ring. He was the little creepy kid in the Ring. And did okay, a good job in there. But um, so, like Dan Dark is in a hospital, and it says here that he has a skin disease, psoriasis. But yeah. it looks to me like he was burned in a fucking fire. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he, he was. Uh, uh, the 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 pupil stage of being the thing yeah pretty much <laughs> <laughs> like you're like jesus christ dude uh who like literally can't even he can't even like extend his hands past fists because of he's got arthritis apparently too he's fucked and uh he, it flashes back and forth between the book that he's kind of like the next book he's kind of writing and what's going on in the hospital and then stuff that's in between where he gets confused between his fantasy reality and the actual reality that sometimes go into the most awkward musical comedy numbers you've ever seen. Yeah. I Uh, mean, not least which because they're all lip synced. Well, I mean, it's not even the worst problem. But five minutes in, you get exactly what this dude's damage is. Yeah, like you, it's, it's and so it's now. Now I got to sit through all of this and see them tell me <laughs> what what's going on when I know what's going this on. Incredibly misanthropic, misan- misogynist douchebag of a guy. Yeah, he's, he's awful. Playing. He's awful. There's nothing to like about him at all. Uh, and then a parade of like much more interesting character actors, which are what which what might be what brings this up to being more watchable. The actual fantasy sequences that take place in his noir world are somewhat interesting. Can be, um, <laughs> but it's also like it goes nowhere. Nope. That whole story doesn't have a life of its own Mm-mm. at all. You know, you're like, okay, well, at least we'll have this mystery that we can see play out. I don't know what happened. I don't. Did they ever really even solve no, that's the, the thing. mystery? Like of the I thing? kept watching it, going like, "What did I miss?" Yeah. Well, it's like <laughs> there's like a hooker who gets murdered, and her boyfriend, who's played by Jerry, or not her boyfriend, her her. her uh, yeah, I don't know if it's her boyfriend or her the, John or, or pimp, played by Jeremy Northam, basically fucks her and then allows in two gangsters, one of which played by uh, well, played by Adrian Brody and Joe Pol- John Polito, in to murder her in a bathtub. But then later, it's like, well, wait, she's was it her that got murdered? Did somebody else get murdered? It was his mom. Like yeah, that was, that was the whole thing. It was yeah. it was constantly revolving around what happened to him as a kid, right? And the, and like him talking to a psychologist, amusingly played by Mel Gibson, who is actually playing this in a very uncharacteristically not attractive at all role. Yeah, and, and, and he did it to, to where, like, I was like, wait, 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 that's Mel... Huh. He's a- almost unrecognizable. <laughs> yeah. He's, like, has shaved his head down so it looks like he's a severely balding guy with little wisps, and they made it, like, where it looks like he's really short. And, mm-hmm. You know, like, what? what? And it's, like, just his whole affectation. Um, and, like, other... The characters in the fantasy... It starts as it goes along, going like, oh, well, those actors playing them, they were actually people from his real life. But that, it's never understood, very, it's never, I, I didn't understand at all why they were represented as such. Yeah. You know, as it went. And some of them play more than one character in his real life. So I'm like, which are they? Well, that and the, the whole, like, 
did his ex-wife actually cheat on him? It was like, yeah. I don't care. I don't I know. I really or care. don't care. Yeah, how much of this is fantasy in his head and how much is real? There's absolutely no way to tell, but you do have good actors like Robert Wright Penn. Robin Wright Penn is in here as his wife. Katie Holmes, just at that period of her life when she was like, just sexy as hell. Mm. Plays a nurse in here briefly. Uh, uh, Carla Gugino. Carla talking Gugino about sexy. looking Woo. really hot. Young as well. Saul Rubinek, uh, who you probably know from, uh, you hopefully know from the really funny show Warehouse 13, is in this. Alfred Woodward. Uh, man, I just... This feels like something that could have been really good. And it just just wasn't. And I actually watched the first two episodes years ago of the show, and I felt exactly the same about the show. Oh, really? And I know the show was given, like, really great reviews. People were like, like, I mean, it won some awards even. And then universally, pretty much, people were like, yeah, the movie's not a good translation of it. But I got to tell you, I felt exactly the same way about the show. <laughs> it was like, uh, if I'm not, who is it? They got, they, And they got a great actor for that as well. Michael Gambon is playing the Robert Downey Jr. role on the show and yet still did nothing for me uh maybe that's more worth checking out but i don't know all right move on to our next title which is animals not a film about the pink floyd album uh, and not about cute little animals not about cute little animals at all this is the story of jude and bobby a admittedly somewhat adorable couple you know played by uh david oh god damn it was a dast Mal. Mal- Malchian? That sounds right. Uh, who you might recognize from The Dark Knight, who was the one of the Joker's thugs, who, when they were like, oh my god, this guy, he's like a mental patient, you know, it was like in the big cop parade scene. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, fuck, this guy doesn't even know what's going on. Like, that's what the Joker's doing. He's getting mental patients to do what he does. He was that guy. <laughs> but here he's not playing a totally crazy guy. He's playing a junkie. He's just playing an asshole. Who's junked out with the also adorable Kim Shaw, who are, like, not the gross-looking kind of junkies. They're oh, they're the very pretty Unrealistically yeah. attractive junkies who are, like, they drive around, they pull small cons on people, but they're, like, the whole thing is, like, practically has, like, a 60s Gidget theme song for the first yeah. half hour of how happy they are. Because, yeah, they so, yeah, the, the, the level keep them together sort of thing. Yeah. But. Um, uh, and then, of course, this does exactly what... I mean, it's the most generic junkie story ever. Oh, it bored the shit. Like, what, what I was thinking when I was watching is, like, I, I've... You know, I've got friends that are that were junkies, uh, some alive, some not. They were far more interesting than this. <laughs> yeah, these guys are, like... It, it feels like... Like, if it started the way it did and then found an interesting, whoa, didn't see that coming story to mm-hmm. take, I would have been with it. Because I like both of these people. I oh, they, they were, were fine. Yeah. They were good. I mean, you're like, oh, maybe if this is really early in their thing, you know, uh, like they're still live- doing successfully off of like a money trust fund or something. Yeah, and like, then they get all scagged out. And- but that's the thing is like, this goes to the whole like, oh, they lost, they aren't able to get their shit, then they start getting desperate, then they turn on each other, then one of them gets well. And you're like, okay, there's nothing here that's not exactly what you picture this sort of thing as yeah. being. I was kind of surprised this got as much attention as it did. Yeah, other than I the fact that. that it has some really well written dialogue, and it was actually written by the actor playing the guy here, the David Devon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who and both the actors are very good in this as well. I just there's just not much to it. It's like an acting exercise more than a film in and of itself. Yeah, much like a proper junkie, it didn't have much teeth. No, it did not. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and unlike these, who had a beautiful full set of teeth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Animals is... I, I feel like it's just for this actor to say, look, I can do other things. 
So cool. And I can play roles that aren't complete crazy guys. You know, okay, that's true. If I saw this and I was looking to cast him in a very different type of role than all he ever gets, otherwise, I go, oh yeah, he can totally pull off a more like regular guy type role. Yeah, uh, he could even be a romantic leading man. He's capable. He's a good looking guy when they don't have him looking all wide eyed and sweaty and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, animals is not something I'd say is really worth going out of your way for. Sneezemals. Now we're gonna get a pro. I don't know if we're gonna wildly disagree on this or not, but our next film is Citizen Four. This is a uh, documentary that came out last year uh, won lots of awards including the Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature at the 2015 Oscars this is the story of Edward Snowden through basically Edward Snowden and uh, and a series of interviews with him in hotel rooms that's the interesting part is that uh, in in the current uh, rate of information exchange uh, basically being able to see something that is a turning point in our history uh, as 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 the world, uh, you get to see it as it's happening. That's that's the hook. Like that is the hook. Unfortunately, it's also like watching paint dry. Oh yeah, no, it's it's it's. <laughs> I think it got so many awards because it's a very important topic. Well, it's a valuable document of yes. a major turning point in history that is not entertaining at all to watch play no. out. And I can't understand why is anyone who's watching this is it even possible that they don't know all the salient points here already because it right. seems like everything in here has been widely expressed across the media and I came out of this going there's nothing here I didn't already know mm-hmm. you're just watching Edward Snowden like have it happen to him but like I said in a phone calls and emails in a hotel room yeah. uh, you know I I I was really kind of angry when this won, because it was up against the act of killing, which really yeah. deserved the best. Uh, yeah, uh, no, this 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 is this is not a great documentary. No, <laughs> it really isn't. I mean, I get that. Yes, it's great that we have this. It feels like one of those things. Hey, guys, for educational purposes, it's on YouTube. If anybody wants to see it, here's all this actual footage that was taken of this important historical time. But we're not going to put it into a fucking movie and distribute it because who would want to actually sit and watch that? Yeah. So one of the extras was uh, they had uh, an interview with, with uh, Snowden and Petraeus and, and Greenwald uh, at the New School, and even that was boring. Yeah. <laughs> with the New York Times interview? Yeah. 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 And there's also like a, a Film Society of Lincoln Center Q&A uh, with uh, the director and uh, a New York Times uh, op doc, short documentary about government spying. I mean, they're doing their best to try and make this a full package for people who are like... I mean, if you're really into political stuff, like, obviously this is something... You've already seen this, you know? Mm -hmm. And and there's no denying the weight of what actually, you know, in... You know the effect of what happened here in real life and how it's still going on is going to be going on for a long time. Yeah, Windows 10. It's just really dull to watch play out. I'm glad you agree with me. I would have to jump over there and rip her throat out with my teeth. <laughs> Next up is Welcome to New York, a film that is <laughs> the latest Abel Ferrara film. This is the guy who made the uh, uh, oh god damn, what's the name of the the vampire heroin addict movie, The Addiction. He did King of New York, Bad Lieutenant, uh, Mrs. Forty Five, which is awesome. Uh, the Driller Killer. He's done a lot of really good films and a lot of really sort of like hacky schlock films that are better than most hacky schlock films uh you know uh, he's a odd guy and welcome to new york is a strange decision uh, of a film because 
I don't know about you, but I don't want to see old fat Gerard Depardieu's balls ever again. Well, yeah, I I would say that this is definitely on the side of schlock. Yeah, uh, and and Depardieu, it's so odd because he was a sex symbol in the eighties, but. He looks like he's never touched a tit before. Yeah, <laughs> like, like his 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 sexuality is just so child who just found a porno. Yeah, it's so weird. Uh, he plays a character named Devereux, who apparently is based on a French politician named Dominic Strauss-Kahn. Yeah. I know nothing about politics. And yeah. So what happened was uh, Strauss-Kahn uh, was the head of the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, which mm-hmm. is basically saying, "Hey, third world countries, we're going to lend you this money so that you can develop, but then you owe us everything." Uh, but that's 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 my political slant. But that's basically what they do, uh, and yeah, he he got popped for raping a maid uh, in a New York hotel. I mean, this is pretty much like blah 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 blah, paint by numbers. It's 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 replacing names is all it's doing uh, to the the actual news story. Okay, yeah, and, and but. It doesn't really focus on the news story. It focuses on Jar Depardieu, who is just having sex with hookers, yep. like all over the place, and like having three ways, and seeing much more detail on that than you ever. <laughs> I mean, literally, you do not want to see this guy naked as much as you see him naked. Mm-mm. I mean, his balls are the size of my head. Yeah, that was that was. Weird. <laughs> uh, but then he. Like he had just come out from having a three way with two very hot hookers, and literally there's a, a old black maid in the hallway, and he like like or, or not like she comes into his room and he's just getting in the shower and he rapes her or forces him to her to blow him, and you're like, dude, you literally just had sex with two like probably a thousand dollar an hour hookers. Well, and and he was he's so large like. Uh, and you know he smokes and he drinks and all that other stuff. Like his heart has to explode at some point. Yeah, like, I was going to say the only thing that kept me going through this was saying, "Wait, did he die? Wait, I'm not going to look it up because maybe it happens on screen." Yeah, yeah, and, and the answer is mm. <laughs> it will violently explode out of his chest. Uh, and then you know, watching the fallout as she ends up taking, you know, basically calling the police, and it sort of ruins his career and his wife going, God, you're such an asshole, and everyone going, God, you're such an asshole, and he is such an asshole, and there's no comeuppance of any kind for him. Well, and his his wife, played by Jacqueline Blissett, who is yeah. still super hot. Yeah. Still uh, looks great. She, uh, I would say she's the best part of this, but there's, that's, that's like being king of shit mountain. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really dull and gross. It, watching yeah. this play out, you never. I never want to see an old fat guy have sex with a uh, with really hot woman <laughs> in any context. And this is definitely. I mean, the, there's no part of Gerard Depardieu that is attractive anymore. No part. I mean, his face was never attractive, and he doesn't come across as charming. No, no, he comes off as kind of a monster. Actually, uh, the the uh, film, of course, the the person in question who is based on apparently is going to sue for slander. Uh, his, his lawyer also said that his that uh, the portrayal of uh, his wife in the film Anne Sinclair was shown as anti-Semitic. Uh, it's gotten a lot of shit, and it's certainly not the first or probably the last time Abel Ferrara's films will, in fact, get a lot of shit. But honestly, unlike some of his other controversial films, that's not one that's worth seeing. Now, I'll be a little kinder to, a lot kinder, in fact, to Lego DC Comics superheroes, Justice League, Attack of the Legion of Doom. Not because it's great, per se. It's just better than the last couple films we talked about. (laughs) That's true. Uh, Now, keep in mind, like, Lego is a brand that is 
expanding as fast as they fucking can. It is the juggernaut, bitch. Uh, um, the Lego movie is genuinely a great, funny movie. Uh, you know, the Lego video games are genuinely really good video games. Some of them, anyway. Like, the whole Star Wars, like, uh, uh, whatever, what's the trilogy word for six? I don't remember. Like, when you, oh, uh, trilogy, is, is it Septet? Uh, no, that's seven. Um, what, whatever that is. Hextet. Let's, we'll, we'll just go with Greek. But those are all really fun. Uh, the Jurassic Park one is supposedly really fun. I've got a chance to play it. Uh, the direct, They've done a lot of direct-to-DVD movies lately that generally get were pretty good casts and everything. And they're very hit and miss. Some are better than others. This is definitely on the better than the others list. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. But it's still much more directed at little kids. It's super cute. Yes, it is kind of adorable. The idea is the Justice League is just formed. Uh, Lex Luthor is unhappy, so he hooks up with Black Manta and Sinestro to to basically uh, take auditions of other villains, which is the funniest scene probably in the movie, uh, as they have to go through this ridiculously impossible training, like obstacle course, uh, to to form uh, the League of... uh, Legion of Legion of Doom. And this is all done in a very sort of old Super Friends sort of way. Like, I mean, there's even uses the, you know, the, the transfer between scenes, music, and stuff. And the Legion of Doom looks just like it did in the Super Friends. And it's just, this is a big, goofy, sometimes pretty funny, but most of the time, like, just kind of snicker. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a... Uh put the movie on so that the kid will shut up and watch it while I make dinner. This is much less painful than some of the other more recent Just for Kids DC directed mm. DVD stuff that's been coming out, but still, nothing you've got to make a beeline oh. for yourself. Uh, I do like uh, a lot D. Bradley Baker as Martian Manhunter, who's sort of the centerpiece, the originally antagonist, then later, of course, their friend character on here. Uh, Troy Baker does a good job as Batman. Um, uh, Mark Hamill is playing the trickster and Sinestro here. Of course, it sounds like the Joker. Tom Kenny briefly is here as the Penguin. Nolan North as it is here as Superman, which is cool. I don't know if this is the first time Nolan North has played Superman or not. I don't know. <laughs> He's cer- uh, certainly one of the most beloved voice actors today. Uh, I was certainly surprised by Tony Todd being Darkseid. I didn't yeah. even realize that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I never miss Tony Todd's voice. It's, come on, it's Tony Todd. He's got the most distinctive voice in the business. Now, I would say the best thing about this movie is that the Flash is so cute. Well, the whole... <laughs> the they've, got this whole thing they've got this whole thing where Wonder Woman, who's voiced by Gray Griffin, uh, is it, she's kind of playing a, the most straight-laced character uh, yeah. of any of them. And uh, both the Flash and Green Lantern uh, are both constantly vying for her attention and trying to one-up each other. And they're both very immature, childish guys. And that actually plays out to be kind of funny sometimes. Uh, I don't know. Like I said, this is not like what you would go like, oh, you must pick this up. But if you're if you're a fan of the Lego ad- adaptation stuff and you really like superheroes... You could do worse. Or if you want to make dinner and you want to shut the kid up. Yeah, that's this is one of those ones that's not going to drive you crazy to have to watch with your kid, you know, uh, as opposed to quite a few other things out there. Okay, <laughs> oh, so boy. next up is The Runner. Nicolas Cage not playing a totally goofy guy in an action movie for the first <laughs> time in some time. Not that I'm sure that that makes us any better. Uh, but at least his intentions were in the right place. They were in the right place for House of Cry. I mean, the runner. Yeah, yeah. This is very <laughs> like I, I get the runner. Ultimately, is about how good men can't stay good men in politics. Yeah, because they're not. They can't survive. 
like the best of intentions, the most determined you are, you're going to get fucked over. Uh, especially if you're having an affair on the Well, side. I was going to say, and you can't be a person of influence without getting your dick wet. No. Like, that's Well, the thing is, Nicolas Cage here plays Colin Price, who is a very idealistic politician who, uh, I can't remember what his actual position was. But he was a congressman. He was a congressman for New Orleans. Uh, yeah, for the second district for Louisiana. of Louisiana. Yeah, for Louisiana. And he's basically angry as hell and isn't going to take it anymore about the 2010 BP oil spill. The fact that they're just, even though they had legally been ordered to spend lots of money and clean it up, they're, they're avoiding this completely. They're not spending the money. Right. They're not returning phone calls. They're just like, well, what are they going to do? <laughs> well, it's funny. Uh, in the opening, when, when I saw him wearing a two-lane sweatshirt, I was like, oh, so he's a good-time party boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's married to Connie Nielsen, uh, and his uh, his dad is played by Peter Fonda, who was uh, a very popular politician before him until alcoholism got the better of him, and he became kind of a joke. Alcoholism, or as they call it, living in New Orleans. But uh, the problem is, is that uh, as idealistic and as hard as Nicolas Cage is fighting for this, and in fact has a uh, impassioned speech uh, that uh, is picked up by the major media and becomes a thing, you know, like, hey, maybe we should all start paying attention to this. Of course, immediately, and it's never flat out said they did it, but assumed that uh, BP investigates and finds out that uh, he's been having an affair for a while with this black woman. Well, a fisherman's wife. Yeah, who is a, a wife of one of the fishermen he's supposed to be representing uh in fact met at a thing about this mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like oh okay which kind of destroys his career and it's kind of him trying to be like well that's not i can't there's got to be a way to make this work and this is pretty dry stuff mm-hmm. uh i mean i nicholas cage is really playing it cl- his cards close to the his house of cards close to the chest um he is not having he, he even at opportunities to do the whole nicholas cage freak out and start screaming he's not playing it that no. way at all no uh he, and he brought out uh southern accent number two yes uh, it was Which we not, don't see as often. It was not Louisiana, but it, no. whatever it was, was awful. <laughs> uh, this isn't even a terrible movie. It's just a kind of boring movie. Yeah, it just kind of uh, wafts by. I give it points for its intention. And, like, there is good stuff in the actual script of this, I think. Mm-hmm. I think there's just not enough momentum for a enjoyable film. No. Yeah. No. It's like... like ultimately how they get to their point like I said earlier of the politicians man what are you going to do look trust me if they've made it that far they're already corrupt <laughs> even if they don't want it even if they hate it even they if they wish there was it. a way out yeah. they don't have any choice Yeah, because like they've got a skeleton in their closet and somebody with a shit ton of money has exploited it Yeah, you know <laughs> as this thing's point and you know uh, which just goes to show Bernie Sanders must actually be a really nice guy because <laughs> he wouldn't be allowed to say the shit he was saying if he had skeletons in his closet. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to be that guy. Uh, but yeah, the the runner, yeah. another one of those uh, Nicholas Cage trying to win his way back into critics' hearts and missing the point entirely. 
Uh, Banksy Does New York is up next, which is a interesting follow-up piece to, uh, what was the name of the? the uh, Exit Through the Gift Shop. Exit Through the Gift Shop, a wonderful documentary about him. This feels like more of an extra feature on that. Yeah, yeah it really like, does. Like a, a feature-length bonus feature. But, you know, if, you're, if you've are if you been following Banksy and what he does, it's an interesting one. It, yeah, uh, it, I mean, it, it certainly, it, it, it speaks towards... Uh, you becoming what you're protesting, whether you want to or not. You know, right. you're becoming commercialized. But you know, and that's the thing, though, is like as much as like. All right, so the setup here is that he basically announced on his website that he is going to do 31 works of art in New York City in 31 days, and you know, in his guerrilla style. That you never knew where it was going to be. It could be on the wall of a Seven Eleven could be wherever and yeah, it, was fact, like, it was like a treasure hunt and in fact oh yeah exactly and there are of course lots of new yorkers that are like you know waking up every morning and like sending each other notes trying to find has anybody seen it has anybody found where it is yeah because <laughs> nobody has jobs and a lot of the stuff you know like is up for an hour before the owners of the places spray paint over them yeah you know <laughs> um some of them and not not all of them are just wall graffiti some of them are elaborate installations and like at one point there's there's a truck driving around yeah, with, the with, an, like, with like an idyllic scene in it you know inside of it it's like ah oh, here's your relaxation new york and i i do i i appreciate banksy i do i like what banksy does who knows who he really is um, the truth is he's got to be a rich guy because he's never he can't sell his own stuff right you know he can't directly profit from it yeah and all this stuff people literally like like will go to these places and steal like cut out of concrete walls the art before <laughs> yeah. like anybody else gets up or anybody opens the store or what have you and take it with them we see some of those people who are just flat out stealing the exhibits in front of everyone mm-hmm. and you're like oh shit and Banksy's not getting any money from that and he knows no. it so all I can say is with the stuff he does and the team of people he works with he's got to be independently wealthy there's there's no other two there's no two ways about it yeah I mean it's not like oh I always forget his name uh the guy who did obey and Andre the Giant and thing. I don't. Yeah, I can't remember. Uh, anyway, yeah, but Andre like, the Giant has a posse. Uh, no, it was it was like Andre the Giant's face, and then it said obey underneath. Oh yeah, but th- I thought that was originally from the the Andre the Giant has a posse uh, art. Yeah, the 3D art. yeah, same, uh, same thing. But I'm trying. Yeah. Anyway, but like that guy's actually commercialized now, and so he's directly making money. Well, off of I think it. like part of what I like about Banksy is the anonymity about this because, and the fact that he's not making any money from this stuff. Right. So he's you know? trying to actually, and, and people are like, "Well, you've already seen this message before." Like, yeah, but he's he's saying it, and he's not doing it for personal acclaim. And he's <laughs> also doing it, and like, there's a, the movie makes an argument for like, despite the fact that some of this is like very like uh, it's not subtle what it's saying Mm -hmm. it's like so you're saying art has to be exclusively for people who go out seeking art and not for the masses and easy enough for them to understand to mean anything there's lots of clever ways to say something that is you know that are still easy to understand and I think that that's the truth of Banksy for me it's like yeah he's finding really smart and attractive ways to say say things that are not that don't take a genius to interpret. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And it doubles down for me, like I said, the fact that he's not actually profiting from this stuff. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I think he's a fascinating figure. I really do. And watching this documentary and how everyone, all the wide range of ways people react to him. Oh, yeah, freak out. Here, like everything from like, he's a criminal to like, oh, he's a fucking hack and makes the rest of us look bad. And, <laughs> like literally some of his stuff gets tagged over by other artists in yeah. like minutes after like it's found or like 
guys who are like, hey, charging to take a picture with a Banksy, even though they don't own the store, they're just a big, scary-looking guy yeah, that happens just... to be standing there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, it's more, this is almost more a picture of New York City than it is of Banksy and all the different types of people that are there. And I think in that aspect, this is interesting, but it's definitely a lesser piece than an exit through the gift shop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But, but you know, if you really love that, you're going to want to see this, too. It is definitely something worth checking out. Uh, I don't know. I have pretty mixed feelings about skin trade. Oh, not me. No? No, no, no. I loved it. You loved skin trade? I loved it. It had so much that I love. It's got Tony Jaa. It's got Dolph Lundgren. It's got... Uh, Michael uh, Jai White. Michael Jai White. It's got Peter Weller. It's got... Ron Perlman. Ron, that's right. Ron Perlman. Such a, like, gr- such a great... great collection of of like action stars and people who you know just cool actors uh in a film that makes the mistake of thinking it actually has something important to say well part of that's because Dolph wrote partially wrote the script yeah yeah (laughs) it's true i mean the thing to say is like hey um and this is i mean it's not like this isn't true it's like there's like the the human sex trade is startling when you look into it. How oh, no, it's, it a, it's a very real thing. It's it's a very real and very scary thing. And he apparently had a like experience where he had started reading about this and how like uh, a bunch of them died. Mm-hmm. And this kind of startled him. And he wrote the script and uh, got other people interested in it who also felt, yes, this is shocking. And the, the moments where this tries to play, especially at the ending, which is roll your eyes. Mm-hmm. Come on, man. Uh, <laughs> uh where it tries to ply ply into that like come on now feel this they don't work at all no but when it's just trying to be a straight ahead action film it's not too bad that's why I love it I was surprised this was as good as it was uh, with Dolph Lundgren playing like you know formerly a great cop cop. he was a great cop but uh, when his uh, you know when his family his, his wife and daughter are murdered and he is left for dead by this Serbian gangster that he's arrested. Uh, he's like, fuck it. I'm going to kill every single person associated with this organization. I'm going to kill mm. them all. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, I liked that and aspect. And goes on the run and ends up going over to, uh, where the fuck was it? Uh, they, they went to Cambodia and, and then Thailand, I yeah, think. Yeah, something like that. And or Thailand, then Cambodia. Where Tony Jaa's a police guy over there who's chasing basically the same people, but when they're alert they're alerted by the american you know uh police force look look this guy's coming over he is insane and he, he's deranged and he's killing people uh he's like okay well we got to stop this guy too and in fact we find out very early on michael jai white who was like an ex-partner of his is actually in the pocket of the bad guys yeah he's, he's with the fbi straight up murders one of tony jaw's cop friends and makes it look like uh, uh it, it really like sort of like really couldn't have like fig- like uh, it seems like there's plenty of opportunities early on for him to go, I didn't do that. What the fuck? <laughs> well, I mean, it looked like Dolph Lundgren did it just so that w- this can have a admittedly impressive long knockdown drag out fight between John and Dolph Lundgren. Oh, one of the things that I love about this is that uh, Dolph looks like a, uh, a, a sack of uh, broken bones and scar tissue. Like, he's just really showing that he, he's done way too many of these. Yeah, he really does look pretty broken up. Uh, actually, really impressed with Michael Jai White in this thing, who we haven't seen do a lot of martial arts lately. And you forget, that guy is huge. I don't forget, because I'm a friend of his. He's good. You are? Well, on Facebook. Okay, fair enough. Uh, he's huge, and he's good. I mean, this seems like he's wearing, like, a suit and 
kind of kicking the shit out of Tony Jaa. And he, that suit does not want to stay on him. No. That suit is like they could not find a dress shirt that was not about to rip. Well, I bet you the outtakes are all just his shirt ripping. Well, uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, one of the opening shots is Tony Jaa in a super slick outfit just beating some ass. And it looked like Bobby Darren was just all fists and elbows. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so... I'm wondering if this is the movie where Job met White uh, because they just finished doing Never Back Down 3 together. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and so I'm wondering if this may have been where they, been, they, they crossed paths. He's there, it's an, it's maybe the my favorite fight of the film is actually the, the mm-hmm. one between the two of them. The fights are good. Uh, the action is and stunts are good. Uh, uh, Ron Perlman is is entertaining enough as, as the villain here. Who yes, is, because got, he speaks... Uh, I guess Russian. To, yeah, I don't know. It's supposed to be Serbian. Sounds like Russian to me, but you know, uh, whose whose sons are all a bunch of psychotics that that all have to be killed <laughs> one at a time by Dolph Lundgren. Uh, but I mean, it's not like this is a good film. It's, no, no, it's I'm, not a good. I'm not film. saying that at all. But if you like, you know, silly, fast-paced martial arts th- uh, thrillers, hey, this is actually worth your time. Who knew? <laughs> Tony Jaa's not been putting out a lot of good stuff lately, and God knows Dolph Lundgren hasn't. Uh, but this is the best film either one of them has done in some time. Yeah, and they definitely try to set it up for a sequel. They do. Now, I didn't get to see Z-Storm. Z-Storm! I forgot I had loaned it to you for the... For the, I was like, oh, go ahead and take this. We'll do it on the next show. And then I forgot you had it. So, so you have to talk about this. All right, so Z-Storm is a movie about things. How was that? I think you're going to need to add a little bit more uh, in Hong Kong. Yeah, further. Keep going. <laughs> okay, so Z Storm is is basically uh, uh, like a corporate, like a Ponzi investment scheme, uh-huh. sort of, sort of uh, run by the Z Corporation with Z things and Z Zs are everywhere. Okay, Zorro somehow is, is alluded to. Yeah, like. Really? The, uh, at one point, they they uh, they give the sort of Zorro. So like, there, there's a bunch of wackiness, um, but it's all played very straight. So let me try to say what it really is. Uh, Hong Kong's Independent Commission Against Corruption uh, is uh, trying to investigate a uh, charity fund that has become involved in a Bertie Madoff style Ponzi scheme. So what it what it basically is is. Uh, Everybody can be bought, except for this one guy who can't be bought. But his wife was killed, so that's why he's got conviction. And we're going to do this thing to you, but then I'm going to call in a favor. Is the entire goddamn movie. Seriously? <laughs> yeah, just over and over. They just kind of like recycle so that Is over there actual and over. action in this film? Uh, slight. I mean, it's called Z-Storm. That yeah, sounds like an action movie. No, there's not really much action. There's It's basically... Uh, Cops pissed off at the, the the anti-corruption guys who are, for some reason, they're the ones who are doing the actual investigating of this this charitable foundation instead of the police. Yeah. So I don't know why, but maybe maybe things are broken up differently in Hong Kong. I don't know, hmm. but it was just it was posturing the movie. That's what it was. Okay. Uh, there's pretty people in there. There's there's uh, Gordon Lamb. Yeah, pretty pretty uh pretty locales, but it's just too pointless. You for, ultimately just don't care. No, you don't. No, and so I, I would say uh, if if you, if it's on Netflix and it's a rainy day, and there's you've watched everything else on. Yeah, Netflix. you've already watched the Lego Justice League Legion of Doom. <laughs> uh, then yeah, why not? 
But so, no, this is this is not like uh, a better tomorrow or or the killer or well, you yeah, know, come on, that's it's, not it, even fair to compare stuff to those. Well, it's, that's it, like like I, I bring it up a lot, but like uh, a, a taxing woman was yeah. was a, a great Japanese series about the IRS, uh, and it's not even as interesting as that. Like, it's just yeah. pass. <laughs> fair enough. All right, uh, we're getting towards the end here. I actually scanning through my list to make sure we didn't skip anything, and I don't think we did. So let's go ahead and talk about. I'm pretty sure it's both of ours pick of the week. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road. I'll, I'll go with pick of the year. <laughs> I'm not going to willing to go that far yet. The year's not even close to being over. But uh, well, actually, it's close to being over. But we not in terms of film releases. It's not. Oh, true. You know, you've true. got all the Oscar release stuff on the way. Mad Max Fury Road is. The last movie I expected to be as good as it was, considering George Miller hasn't really done anything that remarkable in some time. No, no. And that any... We talk about on the new episode of The Original Gentleman, if you're a subscriber you can listen to, that's coming out on Monday, uh, how there aren't a lot of franchises or even classic films that are returned to years later by the original crew that turn out to be very good. In fact... I can't even think of any offhand. Um, I, we have our high hopes for Ash versus the Evil Dead, mm. but you know, generally speaking, if it's been a while and you used to love the old thing, and like, hey, we got the original writer director back, they're gonna fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of pressure, guys. Uh, 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 and I was like, tell, saying, I'm telling you guys, Mad Max Fury Road is not gonna be good. I mean, there were even like reshoots and all the bad mar- high marks of like a film that's fucked. Well, I think we all know now how wrong Chris was, <laughs> because Mad Max Fury Road is kind of spectacular. Well, I... Maybe the best film of the whole series. Oh, easily. Like, I, uh, I you know, when I signed up to watch watch it, uh, I was like, oh, man, this is this is going to be bad, but this is going to be awesomely bad. And then it's like, no, this is awesomely good. Yeah, with 100% less leading man anti-Semites in it, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, but one of, the, one of the things I love so much about it is how it's it's it, it pissed off a bunch of men's rights activists. Yeah, that's the most like these men's rights activists. You want to go like guys? You just need to shut up. You really are putting your foot in your. You're making yourself look even worse with the stupid <laughs> fucking shit you say. Yeah. Oh my god. And 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 it has it says nothing about the movie other than it's a well constructed movie that apparently can just piss off. Uh, crazy but people. It had a weird lashback as well as like like so all these people started defending it as being really feminist, which it's not really feminist either. No. And then all these really extreme feminists were like, "Fuck this movie! It's not feminist enough." <laughs> uh, and I was like, "Oh, for God's sakes, people! It's a really solid action film that's ninety percent just action with characters that don't have much in the way of dialogue depth, but we know as much as we need to to mm-hmm. understand and feel for them." and their motivations here in the story. You know, like, a character only has to have as much depth as it needs for the movie to achieve its its ultimate goal, the style of film that it is. You know, in this case, we know, we know more than we need to in some cases, mm-hmm. even. Uh, Charlie's Theron being really the lead of this film, with, with uh, Tom Hardy being sort of the second lead here... Like, I actually expected at one point they were going to... Because they weren't saying what uh, his name was for the longest time. Like, they didn't even name him as Max till towards the end of the movie. Yeah. And I thought... I really... There was a point I was like, I bet you what they're going to do is he's going to finally give his name and it's going to be, like, Steve or yeah. something like that. And she'd be like, 
My real name is Max, Maxine, and you'd be like, ah <laughs> My real name is Mad, Mad Max. I'd be like, I totally would continue to be, I would have been even happier to see more movies in the series if I knew that Charlie Theron was going to be the new lead. <laughs> she's the new Mad Max. No, but she's a, a Furiosa. Uh, everybody is so good in this movie. Nicholas Holt's really good in this movie as well. It's just solid fun. Uh, that doesn't really have pretensions to say anything. Mm-mm. It just wants your audience to have a good time. And part of the effectiveness of that is the sheer amount of actual practical non-CG work oh, that's done so, here. So, so well done. I mean, they got there when there was stuff that was just too insane. They just hired Cirque du Soleil to do it. Because like, that's literally, what you should do. Yeah. Literally hired Cirque du Soleil to do their stunts because they were too insane for regular stunt people to do. Uh, actually built giant, crazy desert cars and exploded them into each other. There's a whole feature <laughs> on this disc that's just showing like about five minutes of the of some of the craziest action scenes in here. Just saying, there's no CG in this shot at all. This is the shot. Uh, and like, holy crap. <laughs> you know, it's one of the... I think this is the dominant argument for if you don't have to do it in the CG, you should never do it in CG. Right. <laughs> you know, it made a difference to audiences. They picked up on the fact that, yes, we're watching this really happening. Uh, lots of good extra features on here. A Maximum Fury, Filming Fury Road, a 30-minute uh, introduction to the practical effects here. Uh, Fury on full four wheels, which is a 23-minute piece on the actual vehicles in here from the concept to actually like being uh, implemented. Uh, a in-depth look at uh, Max and Furiosa's character with Tom Hardy and Charlie's Theron. Uh, the Tools of the Wasteland, which is production, more production design stuff, which but more about all the rest of the world, little touches on the costumes, weapons. Uh, 11 minutes on the five wives, sort of interviewing all the, the women that all play each of the, the, the wife characters there. Hey, they have names. <laughs> uh, four minutes of deleted scenes, which are really admittedly the least essential thing on here. There's, mm. there's None of the deleted scenes add really anything to this. Uh, and then four minutes uh, of uh, pre-production tests, behind-the-scenes video, and raw footage uh, not enhanced with CGI. So, yeah, this is a solid, solid fucking re- release. I can't tell you how... M- I, I think we both agree. Like, wow. Yeah, yeah, no, it's... Uh, it, it, it does good service to a, to a great movie. Which, of course, brings us to the end of the show and our giveaway, which is something we didn't review this week that we were supposed to review this week. But because of a miscommunication with Brian, they reviewed it last week, which is The Last Dragon. Oh, yes. Uh, This is a mess that I guess some people (laughs) really, really love. So my feeling about it, because, you know, I watched it when I was a kid, and I was like, I don't think I got this, and came back to it, is one of the funny things about it is the blatant racism in it. Oh, like like the overgeneralization of of just Asian. It's all all Oriental, you know, because... It's a really silly film. The Barry Gordy, the head of Motown Records decided, hey, Motown and martial arts, they go together great. Let's make a Motown martial arts film. Uh, and he got, like, this newcomer from out of nowhere, this this martial artist named Ty Mac, uh, who's a young black man, plays the character of Leroy Green, or as they keep calling him, Bruce Leroy, yeah. uh, who is, like, very much the, like, of the sort of martial artist who's like, I'm searching for inner peace. And and, and walking around in pajamas all the time. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like, honestly, like, you... 
you kind of needed to learn martial arts because you walk around looking like you do, someone's going to beat your ass. Yeah. And it well deservedly so. <laughs> you look like an asshole. <laughs> uh, and he, of course, like they show him how much he loves Bruce Lee. And then, of course, there's this crazy guy named uh, Shonuff, a martial artist played by Julius J. Carey III. Wait, so who's, who's the prettiest? Uh, right? Who's the Shogun of Harlem, who sees him as the only... The only thing between him and being universally acknowledged is the baddest-ass motherfucker in Harlem, mm-hmm. only he won't fight him because Bruce Lee Roy is all about inner peace. He didn't care about any of that alpha male bullshit. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, there's this video arcade mogul. Yes, I said that right. This Ar- is definitely a film oh, from 1985. You mean Mr. Arcadian? Mr. Eddie Arcadian, played by Chris Murney, who is in love with uh, uh, his girlfriend, uh, uh, f- played by Faith Prince, who he's trying to make into a music video star and to do that he realizes he needs a like basically a public access show as near as I can tell yeah, it's, it's like a- heaven that vanity is the host of he needs to get her to premiere the video on this thing which leads to lots of interminably dull vanity music numbers mm-hmm. hey don't forget also the barge uh, oh yeah <laughs> uh so bruce leroy ends up getting pulled into all this because of various bullshit but anyway the upside you listened to the review last week this film is absolute nonsense uh i mean it is so fucking silly although it is funny seeing a really young chas palmentary and a really young william h macy at point at a point in here um but it got a cult following because of just how absurd it is. But the thing is, there's so many movies since then that do this sort of absurd so much better than The Last Dragon yeah. that I'm like, okay, I don't get it, but my God, when I've talked shit about this movie, people jump down my fucking throat about so, it. So, okay, Timac is a good martial artist. Like, yeah. uh, I'm just going to throw that out. I mean, he was a real, uh, like, like yeah. multiple belt-winning, uh, you know, award-winning martial artist. The problem is, if you're, you're good but not the best... Don't have Ernie Reyes Jr. in it. Yeah, because he was—he's just so much better than him than uh, Timex. And that's the—is that the guy who was like his student? Who? No, uh, yeah, yeah, kind of. He shows up late in the movie. Uh, basically, Ernie Reyes Sr. Uh, was a martial artist, okay. uh, and he was a choreographer on this. He's like, "Hey, you need a kid? I got a kid. It's my kid." <laughs> uh, and and yeah, Ernie Reyes Jr. He did Ninja Turtles, uh, the live action. He was one of the turtles. He, oh, okay. He had his own series uh, in the '80s where he was paired up with a white guy and his grandpa. Pa was kung fu master, and he used super kung fu magic to get out of things. Like, oh yeah, oh yeah, and the kung fu magic in here is so silly. Like, oh, yeah. it's like the big fight at the end is like turns into like Mortal Kombat shit, but with like <laughs> drawn on the screen, like glowy <laughs> stuff. It's like, oh come on, I get, I, I, I see the appeal for people who saw this back when, or people who want uh, let's laugh at this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't believe Mystery Science Theater never covered this film. They pre- yeah, I don't know. Maybe. But with that being said, uh, we are giving away the 30th anniversary edition Blu-ray of this for you people out there that love this, and I know there's a lot of you. Uh, it comes with Return of the Dragon, an all-new look back at the making and legacy of Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon, featuring a lot of the original actors. So, and a commentary by the director, Michael Schultz. So uh, what you need to do is get on Twitter and go to our Twitter page, uh, or at least, you know, be friended with our Twitter page, which is one of us, Nat. And uh, what you're going to do with the hashtag Last Dragon is... Uh, give Chris a karate name. Yeah, give me a karate name. I like that. So 
the, the or you know martial arts name like my badass eighties martial arts character. Karate and kung fu, according to this movie, are pretty much the pretty same. Much thing, the same so thing. don't worry about. Don't don't don't. You're you're obviously making thinking too much about this. They're all the same. <laughs> exactly. Tai Chi. Yeah, same. Uh, mm-hmm. Wing Chun. No, no, no. That's different because uh, barbecue sauce. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. All right, so we'll pick out a winner, and we'll send you that Blu-ray. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, thank you so much for being here with me this week, Jack. Hey, thanks for having me. Fun show. A lot of good stuff, a lot of bad stuff this week. But, hey, we'll always have Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> and we'll see you. Uh, I will, We won't see you in another week. The other two hosts, Richard and new guy Marco, will see you in, uh, uh, yeah, in another week. Until then... No releases too big, no releases too small, from Criterion to Catastrophe. We review them all. 